0: Well, good morning, and uh, my name is Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here, and as Kirk mentioned, and as I mentioned earlier, we're in a series called The Five Solas, and looking at teaching that uh, was returned to out of the Reformation. Uh, before we get going, though, just a couple, a couple things to draw your attention to, and Kirk has drawn your attention to a couple of them already, but um, he mentioned we're going to India in a few weeks. Did you know that? In fact, uh, one, two, three weeks from today, we'll have a commissioning service during the service. And then that three weeks from tomorrow, which is hard to believe already, uh, we fly to Hyderabad, India, and we'll be there for 10 days. And uh, during part of that time, we'll also uh, take another trip to go visit our orphanage. Uh, For the first five days, we'll be uh, teaching and doing training, and I'll be preaching at a pastor's conference for men and women Uh, Six to seven hundred men and women in India. And that's one of the few times that they get formal training in God's Word. And then uh, we're going to go. And as you know, uh, about four years ago after our last trip, we fully funded uh, the building of an orphanage in India for boys there. And at the time, there was about 40 boys. And uh, by your generous gifts uh, that was built... And uh, today, I think I told you a couple weeks ago, I talked to Joab uh, about two weeks ago, and he told me now there's 75 boys in that orphanage. And if you would like to support one of those boys, we'll be coming back with more info and pictures of them. Uh, But the cost is about $20 a month. And for $20 a month, 100% of that money goes directly to India to help these boys and to care for them. And so if you're interested in supporting them, I think uh, our support is at about between 40 and 50 right now. Is that correct? And uh, so there's room for more of you to support boys if you'd like to. So be praying about thinking about that. Uh, but also for the team that's going and that's going to bring a report back to you, there's some expense for them to go. And uh, some of you have have asked, you've said, hey, is there a way that we can support them and help them to go? Uh, Their costs individually, by the time you add up their their visas and passports, is in the $1,400 range um, and immunizations and all that good stuff. So if you would like to give to help them go, uh, you can just uh, give to the church and market uh, India Trip, and it'll help to offset some of their costs. And also one other opportunity to give, again, to those boys is while we were there, while we are there, excuse me, we'll be giving them uh, Christmas gifts, which sounds weird in November, but that's when we're going to see them. And we're going to give them their Christmas gift, which is a change of clothes, a new pair of shoes, some candy, and uh, all kinds of good stuff like that. And so if the cost on that is about $30 a boy, and if you would like to support some of the boys and give them a Christmas gift... That's an opportunity to give. Really, any time between now and Christmas time, and that that money will be used to offset those costs. Sound good? But that'll be a gift from you and from our church to these boys. And uh, I think they get they might only get new clothes once a year, get one or two new changes of clothes per year. So this is a big deal for them. And uh, we'll have we'll have video and pictures, just of the smiles on their faces. It'll melt your heart when we get back. So it'd be pretty cool. Um, couple other things, uh, like as Kirk said, Haystack, stick around afterwards today if you don't have any plans for lunch, and uh, you can join us. And, uh, and then Wiffle Ball this afternoon, Discovery Class tonight. If you're interested in just learning more about Wawasee Bible, or, or you're interested in becoming a member, either one of those two, uh, 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, come join us here at the church It'll go for about two to two and a half hours But if you're thinking about coming Would you come talk to me after the service I'll be up here And uh, just let me know uh, If you haven't already signed up Because we'll, we'll order some pizza And we'll have supper for you And all that good stuff too And if you have uh, kids that want to come uh, Bring them along And we'll figure out something to do with them We'll feed them pizza And then I don't know that, I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here It's not good But bring them along If that's the only thing holding you back Sound good? We'll figure it out. Um, and then one last thing, and then we're finally going to get into God's word because you're tired of hearing me tell you stuff. So we'll see what God has to say. Just, this is just kind of, for those of you who are part of Wawasee Bible, and uh, this is kind of a family thing. But just, just a reminder, if you use the facility for your 110 group. Uh, or if you're in charge of a ministry uh, that meets at uh, different times throughout the week, could you do us a favor and just be sure that you get whatever rooms you use reset back to their original condition? Um, we've had some issues with that to where stuff has been left out. And it's not, it's not a big deal, but it's, it's just easier if we can get stuff put away and put back. And uh, it's just one of those things, you know, like your mom saying, hey, could you pick up after yourself? That would be fantastic. So just a reminder to do that. And then also, if you schedule a room and you can't make it, um, can you let the office know too? Because we're actually having kind of a buildup of trying to schedule some ten groups to meet. We're running out of some space. And uh, so if you're not going to make it on those nights and you've scheduled it, let us know so we can let the other group maybe who's requested it know so that they can come. Sound good? All right. Well, as I said, we're in a study of the five solas of the Reformation. And uh, these five solas are a summary of some of the teachings, the key orthodox doctrines that were reaffirmed and returned to out of the Reformation. These weren't uh, made up during the Reformation, during the 16th century, the 1500s, but they were returned to. Uh, during that time, uh, there was a return to God's word and to the truth of scripture rather than uh, and out of some of the corruption that had been taking place in the church at that time, uh, this second sola—these the, five solas, I should say—excuse me, were, weren't really called the five solas until a little over a hundred years ago. And uh, as theologians were, and church historians were studying the Reformation, they, they just recognized, you know what? There is these things that always seem to show up in the writings of the reformers, of those who reformed the church and brought it back to its roots. And uh, the, the five of them were sola Christus, Christ alone. Uh, sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Fides, fa- by faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. And soli sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And so today we're talking about Scripture alone. And specifically, Scripture alone being our final and highest authority. Sola Scriptura affirms that the Scriptures and not the institutional church... Are the primary authority by which humanity must live and against which truth and error must be judged. In other words, as I told you earlier, in the Free Church, the phrase "Where stands it written?" was a common phrase among the Free Church, and I, I don't know for sure how to say it. Kirk, you can correct me with your Norwegian, but var skar it Did I get it? Close enough. If you want to know what it really means, ask Kirk. But I just think of the Swedish chef saying that var skar diskurvet. But <laughs> where stands it written? Hey, if it's not in this book, man, it's, it's where where is it written? Show it to me from here. And uh, during the centuries leading up to the Reformation, uh, see, the Roman Catholic Church, and again, I, I told you last week, I, my goal here isn't to pick on the Catholic Church, but it's hard to talk about some of these things without bringing it up because of the historical reality of what happened. The Roman Catholic Church had taken some stances in traditions and they have made them the highest authority, uh, s- s- oftentimes equal with Scripture and other times higher than Scripture in authority uh, for, for people's lives. Uh, for instance, here, let me just read you some things from uh, Roman Catholic doctrine. Uh, they, they, would, they would say that God has entrusted, this is verbatim uh, from some of their documents, God has entrusted Revelation to the Roman Catholic bishops. Uh, Peter says in second uh, Peter chapter two verse nine that we 're a royal priesthood of believers that all of us have access to God through His Word and to understand it and to know it. Uh, they would also they also write the Magisterium, in other words, the Catholic Church is the the authoritative teacher. Uh, the Magisterium alone has the ability. This is a, this is huge. The, the magisterium alone has the ability and right to interpret Scripture. Uh, scripture and church tradition together compromise the Word of God. Scripture and church tradition compromise the supreme rule of faith for the church. Well, in the 1500s, and really even leading up to that, you can go back into the 1300s, a guy by the name of John Wycliffe, who we saw a quote from him on the board, began translating scripture into everyday language so that common people had access to it. Well, this was never allowed before, and it was believed that the church was, what did did I read there? Uh, the, The church alone has the ability and right to interpret scripture. And... When people started getting a hold of God's word and reading it and understanding it for what it was. Um, And later when a guy like Martin Luther, who was a monk, uh, began studying scripture and realized that, hold on, uh, there's some teaching here in God's word that isn't lining up with what the church is teaching. Some of you have come from churches, not the Roman Catholic Church, but other churches where you've had the same experience. We're all of a sudden studying God's word and I compare it to what my church is teaching and going, it's not the same thing. And, and so there began this called the Reformation. I told you that the Reformation, a lot of times we look to Martin Luther nailing 95 theses to the uh, door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in 1517. October thirty first, fifteen seventeen, and really, that's what we look back to. Is that was kind of the spark that ignited the Reformation and the return from some of the corruption in the church. See, by the church saying that um, uh, the church is the sole, uh, the church alone can interpret and understand Scripture. Well, if that's true, then guess what the church can do? Uh, they can lord it over you, and they can manipulate you, and tell you things that maybe aren't there. And that's exactly what had been happening. And so as the Reformers started to, uh, to to push back against this, Luther nailed these 95 theses to the door of the church. And that wasn't a real revolutionary thing simply because the door of the church was like the community bulletin board, so there was all kinds of stuff nailed on it. But he nailed these 95 theses, and uh, then it was gotten a hold of and published, and it, it just started a fire. Well, while that was maybe the, the key point in the beginning of the Reformation, it's, there's probably another event that was really uh, the, the thing that set the Reformation ablaze. There was a bigger event that happened three and a half years later that also involved Martin Luther, and it's an event known to us as the Diet of Worms. And it's not a weight loss plan. The Diet of Worms, diet means assembly of the leaders. Worms was the city it happened in. And it took place in April of uh, 1521. And Worms was a city of about 7,000 people in Germany. And uh, at the Diet of Worms, Luther was called to give an account for some of the things he had written. See, over the course of this three and a half years since he nailed those theses to the door, he began writing things uh, about Scripture and about uh, the church. And some of them were pretty scathing attacks. Um. And so he was called to give an account before Charles V in Worms. And, and Charles V was uh, a young guy of about 21 years old, but he ruled over more of Europe than anyone else. And he was incredibly powerful. And he calls Luther to give an account for his writings. Uh, Luther had been writing prolifically up until this time over these three and a half years, so much so that there was such a pile of his writings in front of Charles and his aides that when they first came into the chamber to meet with him, they expressed doubt that any one man could have written all this. But Luther was summoned there primarily to recant. They really didn't want to know about his writings. They wanted him to recant of them. Uh, he was being asked to confess publicly his mistakes and what he had written about the gospel, the nature of the church, the current state of Christendom. So and when he first got there, he, it was April 17th, and he said, I, I need one more day. They're like, you knew why you were coming the whole time. Why do you need one more day? But nonetheless... Because of Charles' great benevolence, uh, we're told throughout history, he gave him one more day. And so on April 18th, 1521, the charge came again. Uh, Said to Luther, they said, come then, answer the question of his majesty, Charles, whose kindness you have experienced in 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 seeking a time for thought. Excuse me. Do you wish to defend all of your acknowledged books or to retract some? See, they laid them all out. Did you write these? Yeah, I wrote them. Will you recant of them? He said, give me a day. And he comes back the next day. Well, Luther, who had obviously considered his reply carefully, uh, responded that his books were of three kinds. He said some were works of simple piety that no Christian ruler or church official could possibly want to be withdrawn. A second category were works directed against the papacy. And the affairs of the papists, in other words, of the Catholic Church, and those uh, who both by their doctrines and very wicked examples have laid waste the Christian had laid waste the Christian world with evil that affects the spirit and the body. He didn't hold any punches. Uh, Luther didn't think anyone would want to defend some of the evils that were taking place in the name of the church at that time. But the third kind of writing, Luther conceded, he said it did contain some things that were overly harsh. And Luther could be incredibly harsh. Had a bit of a foul mouth. But the third kind of writing, Luther conceded, uh, he, said, he said, which he said, which he was willing to consider retracting, but on one very important condition. At this point, Luther laid down the gauntlet. He said, uh, Therefore, this is a quote of him, he said, Therefore, I ask by the mercy of God, may your most serene majesty, most illustrious lordships, or anyone who is, at all who is able, either high or low, bear witness, expose my errors, overthrowing them. By the writings of the prophets and the evangelists, in other words, uh, expose them, but overthrow them with God's word. And once I've been taught, I shall be quite ready to renounce every error, and I shall be the first to cast my books into the fire. And Luther ended his defense. Now, Luther's—we'll uh, talk more about this Wednesday night if you come uh, on the Do- doctrine Wednesday about the Reformation. Luther's desire wasn't to start a new church; it was to reform the Catholic Church. So they're they're really reformers more than they are Protestants. And uh, anyway, so he said this, but but he wasn't explicit enough uh, for the court. The emperor's spokesman pressed him again, and uh, Luther had not really answered the question. He's like, will you recant or not? No ambiguous answers, yes or no. So then Luther spoke these words, uh, which is some of the most significant in the history of the church and in the history of Europe. And of Western society. He said, Since then, your Serene Majesty and your Lordship speak, seek a simple answer, I will give it in this manner neither horned nor toothed, in other words, not ambiguous. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it's well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot, he's he's facing death here, potentially, and I will not retract anything, since it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. And with these words, uh, really, Protestantism was born, and the Reformation was set ablaze. And from this time on, Luther saying his conscience was captive to the word of God, the living, active voice of Scripture. Um, What what followed was an eruption of rebellion against the church. In the sense that people started breaking off and saying, hold on. uh, The Pope isn't our highest authority. Uh, This book is. And phrases like, where stands it written, began to emerge. And yeah, we'll agree with that if you can convince us from this book. But if you can't convince us from this book, then we're playing a game. What are we doing? And Protestantism erupted. And the Reformation then over the next hundred years to this day affects you and I. Well, you and I, uh, if you're part of our church at Wallace Bible, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And in your bulletin, in your insert this morning, I listed our statement of faith as it relates to the scriptures. I thought even before, we're going to dive into a text in 2 Peter where, because uh, we're, if we're going to say where stands it written, that God's word is our highest authority, that it really is God's word, we we, need, we better look to it and, and answer that from this book, not just from Josh talking, right? Would you agree? Amen? And so we're going to do that in a moment. But before we do, let's, uh, let's read together It won't be on the screen, but you'll have it in front of you there. Let's read together the statement of faith, uh, our statement of faith as it relates to the scriptures. Let's let's confess this together. You see it there on your first page of your notes? We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors, as the verbally inspired word of God, The Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Amen? That's what we believe. well, tell you what, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up to Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16, and we're going to unpack that together as it relates to the authority of the Word of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and uh, thank you for your Word, which, which points us to him. Father, thanks that we don't need to uh, uh, make things up on our own or try to get it right on our own, but by the blood of Jesus, our salvation is secured And by your word, we have, in your word, we have everything we need to live a life that is honoring to you. And everything we need to know about trusting Jesus and gaining salvation because of his work on the cross. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray uh, that you might use me today. Teach me even as I teach. I pray, too, against the enemy, as servants, their works and effects. Uh, Lord, the truth is for all of us, I think uh, many in this room, myself included, we've come from a variety of different backgrounds and different churches. Uh, some that were healthy, some that weren't. And so sometimes to hear things about God's word and uh, to see things that maybe are different than what we were taught growing up, I know that was my experience. It can, it can be hard and it can be confusing and even painful at times. But uh, Holy Spirit, rather than let the enemy uh, work in our hearts and draw us away from your word, and would you instead open our hearts to it, to be taught, uh, to love you, to trust you, to, as we just said, to believe it in, in all that it says, to, to trust it in all that it promises and obey it in all that it requires. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, and I pray all this through him. Amen. Try not to knock the pulpit over second peter chapter one let 's just read through this text together, and then uh, we 'll unpack it. Second Peter chapter One, starting in verse sixteen, uh, leading up to this time by the way, uh, just to give you a little context peter 's writing, and uh, he says earlier in the chapter he that he knows that his death is uh, coming soon, and his desire then is to leave behind a legacy. For these people uh, to know what God's word teaches, and over and over do you know who Peter points to as an authority over and over and over and over and over this book he points to Jesus and this book he's, it's kind of like you know like on reading rainbow when you're a kid, don't take my word for it he's like read it in the book, it's right here and that's the context of what he's saying here in verse 16. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. We'll talk about what all this means here in a moment. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, I've kind of written a sentence again for you this week to apply the text and we'll start like this. We'll start actually in the middle of the passage and let me say this, we should pay attention to God's word. Amen. And and by the way, that's what Peter himself says. Look at verse 19. He says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, until uh, the day dawns, until Jesus himself returns, you would do well to pay attention to this book. I I don't know about you, but I I look around, I turn on the news and you see crazy things that happen like uh, last Sunday evening. In Las Vegas. And you ask yourself. What in the world is going on? How, how is this world so messed up? And the issue. By the way. Isn't. Um, whatever side you're on. Gun control. No gun control. Whatever else. None of that's the issue. You know what the issue is? It's our heart. It's the fact that we're sinful. That Adam and Eve messed it up. And we've messed it up with them. And all of us. Because of our sin. Are royally jacked up. And we need a savior. Well, this word, this book points you to truth. It is itself truth. It points you to the answer to some of these hard questions. And often, sometimes when people uh, see some of these things happen in the world, and they go, uh, what's going on? How could a good God ever let something like this happen? Uh, They haven't really looked at God's word to see what God's word says about those things. And, and the origin of evil and, and why some of these things are taking place. And in fact, the scripture clearly teaches as we get further and further closer to Jesus' return, things are probably going to get worse. And so Peter tells us here, we would do well then to pay attention to this book. Sure, pay attention to what's going on around you, but you know what you should pay more attention to? Say it with me, this book, right? Now, why? 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 Well, first of all, let me commend to you that, that God's word is written for your good. It's written for your good. A lot of people uh, look at God's word and they think, boy, that's, it's a really old book. It's got a bunch of rules and, and a bunch of rules that I've heard people talk about that I don't want to obey. And I just think it's there to kill my joy and it's there to mess up my life. Uh, Second Timothy, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God, it means man or woman, of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Loved ones, when I was in youth ministry, I'd tell our students all the time, this this isn't a rule book, it's a roadmap. map. When, when God says in his word, when he says don't, do you know what he really means? Don't hurt yourself. Don't do that because it's going to mess everything up. He's not saying don't because he wants to kill your fun. He's not saying don't because he's looking down from heaven just really angry with you. He's saying don't because he loves you. Just like I tell Charlie, don't climb on the table. And yet he climbs on the table. Don't run on the couch. He runs on the couch. And he thinks it's a blast until what happens? What happens? In his very top-heavy little body, because his head is so big, he falls over and smacks the table or falls on the floor. You'll see him running around later. You can confirm that. He's got a big head, like his dad. But we don't tell him don't because we don't want him to have fun. We don't tell him don't because we don't love him. We tell him don't because we do love him. Don't hurt yourself. And so when he falls or when he gets a spanking, we grab him and say, I love you, but that's gonna, don't do that. That's not good for you. When God says don't in his word, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. Amen. This book is for your good. It's not to kill your joy. It's to give you joy. It's the exact opposite of that. Uh, By the way, another reason we should pay attention to it is this book always, and that's a big statement, always proves true. Do you believe that? Tell me again, do you believe that? That this book always proves true? Uh, God's word tells us that in Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Uh, every word of God, the writer of Proverbs says, proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Then he gives some advice. So don't add to his words in verse 6, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. See, when, when we obeyed... To, let me just say this. Tradition in a church can be a really good thing. We have some traditions as a church, don't we? We have some uh, some things we do together. That, that's just the way we do it. And that's not a bad thing. But unless as its foundation is God's word, boy, you can get into a lot of trouble. Because then what you're doing, if you're taking that tradition or the word of some other person and you're putting it either on par with scripture Or as a foundation to scripture, you're actually making it above scripture. What you're really doing is you're adding to or you're taking away from God's word. And the writer of Proverbs tells us, be careful not to do that lest you be proved a liar. Because this is the word that always proves true. God's word always proves itself to be true. True. Psalm 18, verse 30, this God, his way is perfect. He had been describing the majesty of our God in Psalm 18. It's it's a wonderful psalm. And in verse 30, he says, this God, this one I've been describing, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. In John chapter 3, and I'm going to miss the verse. I want to say verse 34, but I should have written it down and I didn't. It's just kind of coming to me right now. But John writes, he says that those who put their faith in God, who trust him, and I'm paraphrasing, but he will prove himself to be true. Hey, if you're on the fence about trusting in the God who wrote this book, let me encourage you, trust him. Take a step of faith, repent of your sin, turn to him. He'll prove himself to be true. I I promise you, I promise you with, with Jesus' own words and his own authority, he will prove himself to be true. His only call to you is to repent, to believe, to trust him. Would you turn to him today? He'll prove himself to be true. And his word proves itself to be true. In fact, uh, that's the context even of this passage. Look back at verse 16. Peter's telling us, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, some, even even in Peter's day, uh, would would look to this and they would say, uh, God's word, it's just a myth. It's it's a good story, but who cares? It's just a myth. Peter's like, hey, we didn't follow myths. We didn't teach you the myths of men. Uh, We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In in fact, we were eyewitnesses, he says, of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain see we should, we would do well to pay attention to god's word and you know you know why another reason why it's not from man it's not from man it proves itself to be true and it is not from man uh, Peter uses this example. He tells us he's not preaching myths, but things he saw confirmed with his own eyes. The very word and voice of the Lord. What, what Peter's referring to here is an event in, uh, recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke called the Transfiguration. Sounds like a fancy word, right? But it was a time where, we're going to go read it here in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus revealed his glory to three of his disciples, to kind of the inner three Look at uh, Matthew chapter 17, if, I'll, I'll read it here, but if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. It's also can be found in Mark 9 and Luke nine. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know there's also an event where there was a guy who went up on a mountain to, to meet with the Lord and to pray. And uh, he encountered the Lord, and his face began to shine, and his clothes were changed, and a guy by the name of Moses, right? And so I think probably to confirm to these guys that uh, Jesus isn't Moses, look what it says. And there, behold, there also appeared to them Moses and Elijah Talking with him. This Jesus is a better Moses. He's not Moses. And it's not Elijah either. This is this is God. This is, this is God. He was revealing his glory to them. And and Peter, I love Peter because he just says what's on his mind. I wish I was more like that sometimes. Peter said to Jesus, uh, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here: one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter just wanted to help. He wanted to do something, right? He had an idea. I got, I got an idea. Let's do this. Well, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but only Jesus. That's the event that Peter's recounting here in First Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, and 17, he says, 17, for when we received honor and glory from God, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves, we heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And the voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, right? Peter's like, we heard this. We heard it. It wasn't from man. It, it was God spoke this to us. But then look what he says. Right after this. He says, and we have something more sure. How do you get more sure than that? He heard God's voice, right? He heard God's voice speak. It's, it's clearly from God. But we have something that is more sure. Do you see what he says is more sure? The prophetic word. To which you would do well to pay attention. More sure than, than the very voice of God hearing it is what He's written down for you. And and what He had been written down, what had been written down up to that point in the Old Testament, Peter's also saying in this statement, it was confirmed to us right there that his word proved to be true, that it is true, and that it wasn't from men. It wasn't it, like people didn't make this up. It wasn't a myth. It's true. We saw it, we heard his voice. And you can believe this book. It's a more sure word. See, because uh, we we should do well to pay attention to this book because it's not of man, but it's the very words. uh, it's, it's, It's breathed out by God himself. Excuse me. It's breathed out by God himself. See, that's what Peter goes on to say. You would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You ever, I don't know about you, but a lot of times at night, I, I grab my phone off the nightstand, and I love the little flashlight app. Anybody else got that? You turn on the flashlight so you can see where you're going. And I pay attention to wherever I point that thing because I can't really see at night, and I'm dragging. And if I don't, I'm probably going to bump into something and cause a problem, right? So I flip it up, turn on the flashlight, and I pay attention. Peter's like, hey, that's how you should pay attention to God's word. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place. You're wondering what's going on in the world. you wonder what's going on in your life. Well, here's your flashlight app. <laughs> Turn it on, man. Shine it. Look at it. But you would do well to pay attention to it, like a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns. In other words, for the rest of time, until Jesus returns. Knowing this, first of all. See, here's the deal. It's not from man, but it's breathed out by God himself. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Like... It, Like, nobody just made this up. Uh, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, he says in verse 21. But men spoke from God as they were born along or carried along by the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, this book, yes, it was written by human authors with faults but God himself verbally inspired this word. He, the Holy Spirit worked in them and through their personalities and through their experiences to write a more sure word, the prophetic word, a more sure word than what Peter heard on the mountain with Jesus. So that you and I would know how to live. It's for our good. It's our final authority. It's our highest authority. So when when there's a contradiction between uh, my desires and what god 's word says, what wins the book when there 's a contradiction between what I, I I think I heard the spirit tell me, but what I read in god 's word what wins god 's word it 's a more sure word than any other word i 'm going to get if there 's a contradiction between what uh, someone tells me is true and what somebody tells me about God or about Jesus or about salvation or any other issue that the Bible speaks to. And it contradicts what's written in this book. Which one wins? This book, God's word wins. It's, it's our final and highest authority. Um, it's not from man. It's breathed out by God himself. And and by the way, let me just take one other detour to the book of Mark with you. And let's look at a couple of Jesus words before we wrap up this morning. In In Mark chapter 7... Uh, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees in chapter seven, verses one through eight. And the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. And they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And and Mark gives us a a little clue of what's going on here in verses three and four. He says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders, the tradition of the church. And, and when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, like uh, washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches and all of this ritual to prepare themselves before they would eat. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they asked Jesus, they said, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, uh, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, as it is written. Jesus appeals right away to God's word, not to their tradition. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He said to them, this this would be an awful thing to hear from Jesus someday. You leave the command of God and you hold to the tradition of men. This passage of Scripture, too, was key in Luther's understanding of the authority of Scripture and some of the things that he uh, came out against the church with, saying, hold on, no, 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 no traditions of men. Where is it written? I'm not going to abandon the commandment of God and hold simply to the tradition of men. And we do well to do the same, right? We have a saying in our church, uh, one of our core values... And by the way, that's exactly what Peter says. He says there is no uh, scripture, no prophecy that's ever produced by the will of man, but it spoke from God. So as Jesus tells us, pay attention to the command of God, not the traditions of men. Pay attention to this book. Uh, but we have a saying in our church, one of our values, right? That God wrote it all down. He wrote it all down. That it's our final authority. If, if I say something that contradicts scripture, um. I want to be the first to change my mind on whatever I said, right? Because it really doesn't matter what I say or what anyone else here says. It matters what his word says. It doesn't matter what our tradition is. Like, oh, that's the way we've always done it, and that's the way you do it in church. No, 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 no. What does God's word say? I was at a a conference a few years ago, and one of the band members on stage was wearing a hat. And in that culture, it was in Southern California, and that was just, that's just common for their culture. And there was somebody from another church, a more traditional church, and uh, a man who'd been in the church for a long time, and he, he said, "You need to take off that hat." And the, the kid took it off, but he was deeply offended. He had only been a Christian for a short time, and um, the pastor came back, and he's like,, um, "Can you show me that command in the Bible?" Or is that a tradition of men Of your church and, and the guy thankfully Was struck by God's word And said yeah I'm sorry I, didn't, I never meant to offend him I never meant to hurt him But I guess you're right that, That's a tradition um, But it's not clear from God's word That no you can't wear a hat <laughs> So I guess you know what I'm going to let that one go That's an open handed thing I'm going to let that go I'm going to hold on to what God's word really says. Loved ones, that's how we need to be. As, as we say in our statement of faith, and it's at the bottom of uh, your insert there, uh, we need to believe it in all that it teaches. Whatever God's word teaches, believe it. Believe it. It's not a question of if, it's, it's what does God's word say? Believe it. In all that it, it requires, obey it, do what it says. In all that it promises, because there's a lot of promises in this book and they all prove to be true, trust it. Trust it. But hear me on areas where this word does not speak clearly to that issue, stay off your high horse. Do yourself a favor that you're not proved, as Proverbs 30, verse 6 says, to be a liar. Remember, we talk about a two-fisted theology. In this fist, everything—if I let go of this—I'm no longer a Christian. The deity of Jesus Christ, the authority of God's word, and if—if—if if, uh, if, if it comes to to fight, I'm going to fight over these things. I'm going to swing my fist. But in this hand, I can have convictions and preferences and all kinds of other things. But at the end of the day, uh, these have to submit to God's word. And sometimes, where God's word isn't real clear, then I have to go. You know what? I have to hold this with an open hand, and at the end of the day, if I let go of it, it's not the end of the world. Because I still have these things that are sure and true. Amen? Now, to do all these things, um, there's only one way you can believe it and all it teaches, obey it and all it requires, and trust it and all that it promises. You know what that is? You need to read it. Get down to brass tacks. Are you reading this book? Are you reading it? I'm going to show you a video here as we close and maybe it would be an encouragement to you to read God's word.
1: God wrote a book. That reality blows me away every time I stop to think about it. Pages and pages of God, his thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away. I can carry it with me everywhere I go. Read it whenever I want. When we open the Bible, what do we see? We see God himself in this book. We meet him here or we don't meet him, not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we can ever do. It's more valuable than anything we own, sweeter than anything we have ever eaten. It is literally more important than breathing. That's not always what we see and feel when we open our Bible. Our weak, tired, distracted eyes look. And all we see is a lifeless, boring portrait on the wall. But it's not a portrait. It's a window. It doesn't hang lifeless in an old frame on the wall. It breaks through the wall into another world, the real world the lasting world, the better world. And through this window shines a divine light that changes everything around us. We all know that the road to knowing God is not easy. Discipline and resolve are important, but they can carry you only so far. A few days, a week, maybe a month, for the long run, we need something stronger, more compelling than discipline and resolve. There are too many traps along the path, too many hurdles. At the root, the reason we don't read the Bible is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see joy, peace, and life when we see that leather binding on our shelf. We see a wall, not a window. The boring portrait, not the never-ending beauty beyond. So we put it off, leave it shut, and move on. We stay in bed, and we miss the miracle. God who said, let light shine out of darkness loves to speak light into hearts and minds. God wrote a book, and with his book, these words in front of us, he wakens our dead, bored souls. He frees us from bondage to sin, from desires that rob us of life. He comforts the depressed. Inspires the discouraged, guides the confused. He empowers us to make our lives count for His cause in the world. He satisfies us completely and forever with words His words. So, will I read my Bible tomorrow? Where else would I go? How else will I know him? How else will I prepare myself to enjoy him forever? Yes, I'll spend the rest of my life looking out of this window, watching, waiting for another sight of him, another miracle, another glimpse of my God.
0: Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus and for all that your word reveals to us about Him, so that we can know truth, so that we can be saved. Holy Spirit, I pray for each of us that we would, um, you would put in us desires to read your word, to be in your word, to be changed by it. It's the it's the power to change us. It's the power, your power into salvation. Lord, I pray for those too who are here today who maybe have never. Uh, trusted you and maybe some of the words even they heard today about your word are new or it doesn't line up with the tradition that they grew up with or that they come from Uh, holy spirit would you be the one to uh, tug on their hearts and convince them of the truth of your word give them courage to study it for themselves and um, give them courage to ask questions of those who can answer them for them And finally, give them courage to put their trust and faith, Jesus, in you and in you alone. You're their only hope. You're my only hope. We love you and we pray all this through you. Amen.